This is Tiaro Signal, and I'm Linda Philippi in McMinnville, Oregon, heart of the Oregon wine country. And my guest today is somebody very special. Richard D'Ambrosio is a master storyteller who's helped hundreds of travel advisors, entrepreneurs, and leading brands, including American Express, Flight Center USA, Virgin Atlantic Airways, and Thomas Cook Travel, grow their brands and sales through marketing and sales coaching. Richard has a passion for helping small businesses find their voice and tell their story to attract ideal clients and has been a regular speaker and educator with Travel Market Report, the Travel Institute, and a variety of travel media properties. Richard's current mastermind class is designed to help travel advisors find, refine, and pre present their unique compelling story in order to grow their business. He covers every aspect of the way stories work, including helping travel advisors identify and attract ideal clients, deliver powerful testimonials, and even how stories shape our revenues and profits. So Richard, welcome after all that. <laughs> the big buildup. So <laughs> and uh, a disclaimer, I am one of Richard's students and just yesterday was in one of his uh, TBM classes on story and was incredibly, incredibly inspired, blown away. So this interview oh, feels very, so yeah, this feels really timely. So yeah, I'm glad well, you're with the, me. The reason why I wanted to do it was because Richard Earls wrote that beautiful piece at the beginning of this week. What's your story? I loved it. And that's well, it, the reason why. It's, I know it's really, really good. You know, and like, I think it's true. We're all, you know, wired for story. Classically, stories begin with once upon a time. You know, we hear those words and we, we sort of settle in knowing we're about to hear a story and who doesn't love that? Right. And, and, and Robert McKee, you know, one of my like little gurus says story is about archetypes, not stereotypes. And, I think that's a way to approach business storytelling because there are universal elements to every story. But let's 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 start with you. Let's hear your story. <laughs> Give us your background and Oh my goodness. Um wow. You know, I knew I wanted to be a storyteller at the end of 5th grade. Um Mrs. Clarkson was my teacher. And uh, at the beginning of the fifth grade class, she had us writing every week in one of those, remember those old composition um, <laughs> books, yes. the, the marbleized ones? Yes, I'm so even we, older than you are, honey. So yes, I do. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and I would, that that particular year of fifth grade was a very eventful year in the D'Ambrose household. I'm one of 10 kids. And um, there must have been like six or seven of us in the house at the time, given that one was away at college and one wasn't born yet. And there were so many things happened. My father broke his leg. We were supposed to go to Disney World and the trip had to be canceled because my father broke his leg. Oh, my gosh. And I'm writing about all of this stuff in this journal about the crazy Christmases. And what I and, and Mrs. Clarkson every now and then would write in this little red pen in the, in the margins. And she'd ask me questions or she'd comment. And I was really kind of getting off on all of this. And then at the end of the year, what I didn't realize was she had been talking to my parents throughout the year, I guess the parent-teacher conferences. And she had mentioned this book and she had said, do you realize how great a writer your son is at fifth grade? And like right at the end of, of um, the school year, I'm in the kitchen and my mom and dad come walking in. And I thought I did something wrong because <laughs> rarely did the two of them come to me at the same time. 
And they, they had the composition notebook in their hands. And they said, Richard, we've been reading this all year with Mrs. Clarkson and you. This has been so much fun. And I saw the joy on their face. That's oh. when I first realized I like doing this. So um, in junior high school and high school, I started writing for the school papers. Um, I went to journalism school at NYU. When I came out, uh, my first job was in Lake Placid, New York. I wrote mm. for the weekly newspaper up there and I did radio. So I had two jobs up in Lake Placid. I came back to New York, back to Long Island. Um, my sister lost her very first child to, oh. um, yeah, to a, what a great story that was. It was o- almost identical to how my sister Joyce, the third child in my family passed away. That's how my sister's daughter Joyce died. Talk about crazy coincidences. So anyway, I moved back because my family was just in tears and um, I wanted to be there for them. I got a job writing about the airline industry. What an amazing time to join the airline industry in 1987. I got Uh to interview Bob Crandall, Frank Lorenzo, uh, Herb Kelleher. I sat in Herb Kelleher's office half a dozen times. I never took a glass of wild turkey whiskey with him though. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never arm wrestled him either. Um, but I got to meet all these incredible personalities and tell their stories. And um, I got wooed away to work for David Peresky and Thomas Cook Travel to help a company tell stories about you know Thomas Cook, which already had a great brand. David and Linda had created an incredible company in New England. Um, and then I made it over. Um, uh, our company got bought. Thomas Cook got bought by American Express. And I went to work for Branson for a year. Mm. And Wow. I mean, if anybody doesn't know Richard Branson's story, it is, you know, this kid who grew up in middle class um, England and he starts this record um, retail store and then he starts a record company and then he takes on British Airways. His story is so beyond what so many of us know. And, you know, being able to retell that story in different contexts, um, in speeches, um, you know, when Richard was attacked by Crandall and British Airways, when we were fighting, fighting those two companies about a co-chair agreement and, and Richard had this great story of this rags to not rags to riches, you know, the little guy, the, the underdog fighting the two big companies, always these great stories that enabled my employers to do magical things, to fight British Airways and American Airlines when when we were so outgunned because we leveraged stories. So, um, you know, spent 15 years at American Express doing some storytelling and PR, employee communications, sales and client management. Um, And then finally got let go. Uh, When you get a little bit too old and gray, um, you know, you get kind of squeezed out eventually from corporate America. And, you know, now I've been doing storytelling for small businesses and, and different publications since 2015. Wow. And it's so, fun. Uh, you know what? I mean, obviously, when I first met you, you, you came across as a man who absolutely loves life, loves what you do. Thank and you. that's that's absolutely apparent with like from, from the very first handshake. So here's my, my, my first question. What yes. do you find holds people back from telling a compelling story about themselves and their business? Is it the nuts and bolts of writing or a fear of being vulnerable or, or both or something different? I think it's mostly the fear of being vulnerable. You know, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I've worked enough with people um, that what I have found is the best way to get to the truth of their story is to just ask factual questions. So the travel business mastermind, on storytelling, the first questionnaire we give is very 
very high level and it just kind of gets you into the habit of someone asked you a question, do your best to answer it. And then the second questionnaire then starts to probe that vulnerability. It asks you for, for superlative answers so to superlative situations. And what I find is gradually easing yourself into the stories of your life maybe helps you better deal with things that you might be suppressing. Um, and, you know, I, you know, uh, I'm an amateur psychologist, but um, what I have found is that something deeply emotional in all of us that very often prevents us from touching that important thing inside us. And it, American Express, I'm, I'm working with a sales and client management team, seven, 800 people across the United States and, and Canada. And I used to write a quarterly newsletter and highlight certain employees who were top performers. And we wanted to share the fact that you should emulate, you know, the readers of the newsletter might um, you should emulate this person that we just highlighted. And there was this one woman, Jamie, phenomenal saleswoman. And uh, her VP, it was his turn to recommend who are we going to interview from his region. We had four regions. And he goes, you know, interview Jamie. She's always at 120% of quota, 130% of quota. She's amazing. So I call her and I do an interview. And um, Jamie's story basically was she was working behind the desk of a school district. There was a sales guy who would come in every day um, to try to sell, sell, sell to the school district. He already had an account with them. And Jamie, um, you know, this guy, she was a pretty woman and this guy would hit on her and, and he's going, you know, you should come work with me. You're going to be a great saleswoman. You're going to be a great saleswoman one day. And Jamie kept saying, I'm a clerk, you know, I'm not a salesperson. I don't have that. And eventually what the story was is that, you know, Jamie finally had the courage to follow this guy. And he taught her a lot of things about sales. And one day American Express finds her in the mix of candidates for a job and she crushes it. <laughs> so I, I interview her. And I send her the story via email. And I said, Jamie, when you get a chance, read what I wrote. It's based on the interview I did with you the other day. Get it back to me because now I got a lot in the newsletter. And she calls me. She, she emails it back with a couple of factual changes. And she calls me and she's crying. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, that's me. And I said, Jamie, oh, you told me this. How could I come oh. up with it? How could it be anything different? Then the, the truth, unless you told me lies. And she said, I never saw myself that way. Oh. And I think that's because we don't, you know, we, some, some of us don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe in the best of ourselves. And sometimes we believe in the worst in ourselves. And I think that is one of the worst things for business owners who are trying to use storytelling as a, as a tool to grow their business. They don't know how to touch that part of themselves and, and stand in that brilliance. Well, that brings me to my next question. Uh, do you have a process for sort of dissecting a, a company's given public story and drilling down to find the missing elements that will allow them to truly connect with their target, target yes. audience? Okay. Yes. So, so, you know, the, the, the methodology is um, we gravitate towards the things that make us happiest. Now, some of us are sadomasochists, and we also create situations in our lives that bring about pain. And, and so if you've got those two ends of the spectrum, if I ask you questions about things that you're most proud of, things that you're, uh, you know, tell me about the most exciting trip you've ever taken as a travel advisor. Tell me about the most fun trip you've ever booked for a client. When I start asking the most in these superlatives, what it tends to do is it makes people stop 
and go back into their brain and pull out something. It may not even be the exact correct answer. If you took the whole of their life's experiences, they may have just pulled something that they preferred. But once they start giving you enough answers to those superlatives, you do start to see patterns. And, and it could be that when I talk about your child, when I ask you questions about your vacations as a child, and I see the patterns of the trips you like to book the most for your clients, we start to gravitate na- to a narrower band of what are the belief systems behind your business? What, where's the passion for travel for you? It's probably going to come out in between the words and sentences of the answers to those questions. So that's kind of our process. Okay. So when you do engage with a travel client and they really genuinely want your help, and so you've done the work of defining their goals and their ideal client, do do you find there are sort of predictable pain points as you get into the process of fashioning the story that will best accomplish their end result? I mean, are there places where people, it's like, oh, this is probably going to be a a hot button for them, or is it different with everybody? Um, I think... Like um, Robert McKee says, I think there are archetypes. And when we think about our businesses from a series of stories, some of those archetypes are going to start to rise. So for example, as a business coach, one of the archetypes that I've identified is the entrepreneur who thinks they're an imposter. They want to believe in themselves but they hold themselves back because they've got some doubts about their skills, about their curating you know, best trips. Similarly, we see that about travel advisors and clients. So you know, one of the examples I always give to people is a very personal one. I'm a dad of three kids. I'm a son of a, two parents who had 10 kids. And family is a big thing to me. And fatherhood is a really big thing to me. And what I understand about some family travel is that it's based on the, the, the parent's decision to put a vacation together with a travel advisor is very often based on them wanting to relive some of those vacations when they were a child. They now want to take their money and their vacation time and take their kids on the kinds of trips they took when they were young. Because if they were pleasant experiences, why not recreate it? Why not relive it? and pass it on to my kids. So I did that with my kids for Disney World. My, I'll never forget when Disney World opened. I remember seeing the television news that night and my dad had just gotten home from work and they were at the ribbon cutting with, with Walt himself. And my father said to my mom, honey, we're going to take the kids. Look at this. He was watching the news saying, we're going. And then, then I broke his leg. <laughs> oh my God. How did he break his leg, by the way? He was he was at the family lumberyard, um, and he was on a ladder, and he was I don't know what he was doing if he's reaching for something, but apparently the ladder started to wobble and he fell and he slammed his leg down on the hard surface and it it caused a um a fracture in his leg. And the worst part was, I mean, we took him into the city. Oh, my mom t- took him into the city because I was very small. Um, and apparently he got an infection in the break. So he, he ended up having to stay a lot longer. Ooh. And, and at that point, the doctor said, there ain't no way you're going to Disney World. Cancel the trip. You I know wonder what the cancellation policies were back then. I don't know. They probably just <laughs> let you off. The- well, you probably didn't. You probably just drove down and got your tickets when you got there. 
That's Probably. how you did it in the olden days. <laughs> I remember when I was in sixth grade, that's interesting, we were about the same age, um, we were supposed to go to Disneyland, because I'm from California, for uh, Easter vacation. And I got chicken pox. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then my brother got chicken pox. And so we didn't go to Disneyland. But it's funny that we both have those Disney stories, you know. And that's what advisors need to remember is that mm -hmm. they're dealing with someone who's bringing their own narrative to the marketing and sales process. There's emotions that those individuals are feeling. And depending upon what you sell, how do you tell a story to them that makes them realize this person can make my story come true? That's the way I try to teach storytelling. And one of the things that that I I learned from you actually and I, and I loved is that you know there's so many different ways to tell a story depending on you know whether it's it's your website which is more evergreen or if it's right. social media or if it's a newsletter and how that works but one of the things I was going to and I think I might have mentioned this when I sent you the email mm -hmm. I've seen these on Instagram or whatever and they're like little TikTok videos right. and they're they're ads but they look like somebody's little homemade cute video right of a girl in her yoga pants and she's bending over her kitchen sink and she's going to surprise her husband when her husband comes home from work and see <laughs> yes, I've seen them. right and i mean they seriously do look like joe schmo made it with her little it selfie does. camera yep. and you know darn well that that those are professionally produced but but obviously that you know the the makers of those yoga pants have figured out that the way to connect with these young women who who are going to buy these yoga pants presumably is to make it folksy like that and that's so interesting to me because and think about the archetype who were they thinking now you know the women i've dated i'm single the women i've dated i don't know that they would have responded to those ads and said i can see myself in those yoga pants with rich walking in the door and going hey honey we'll go, go buy some more of those but there's an archetype of a woman that for some reason their marketing research told them this is going to resonate with them they're going to want to buy these this is the way we're going to do this there's there there is a client for that um marketing concept and you know i mean it is kind of interesting just to to like beat that one to death a little is it's, it's <laughs> always the young woman she's always in the kitchen he's always coming through the door like clearly from work and i'm like man that's kind of like cliche right she's exactly home the and he's bringing home the bacon or whatever right? but but hey you know what if it sells yoga pants more power to him Right. So it's just so interesting because we are inundated with story, I think, more yes. than we've ever been in the history of the world. Agreed. Be because there's so many more ways to get it to us. You know, every yeah. single thing that we consume, we're looking at hearing, absorbing story. So, and, and you know, the thing is, travel obviously would seem to be a no-brainer. I mean, it used to be that people walked into a brick and mortar and there was the glossy brochure and there was a travel agent behind the desk. But now, you know, it's on your computer, it's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, it's on everywhere. And the photography is so incredible. Yes. I mean, you can put one drool-worthy picture of, you know, Machu Picchu or, or Taj Mahal or something. And so how, how, do, you, how do you do it? Tell, talk to me about right. teaching that. Well, I think, again, it all starts with you understanding 
you know, the, that archetype, maybe we start, we, we stop using the phrase ideal client. Mm-hmm. And maybe we start using ideal archetype mm-hmm. because if you sell, <laughs> let's say you sell river cruises, um, there's an archetype at the very top of the food chain for river cruise um, clients. It's typically somebody much older, you know, definitely over than 55. Um, they've probably done ocean going cruises. They probably have a lot more time on hand. So maybe they're later in life in their career. Um, and the reason why they want to go on a river cruise is it's very convenient to only unpack once and to go see all these different cities. And if, you know, I want to go off on my own, I can, if I want to go with a group trip and that's kind of an archetype, you know what? Somebody who just has that, but then somebody like Ama Waterways says, well, wait a second. Some of these rivers go through some great wine country. What if the other next archetype is someone who is an extreme wine aficionado? And we are now going to include side tours to vineyards where they're going to enjoy wines that they may not find in America. So now that archetype is someone over the age of 55, maybe, you know what, you may actually get some younger people because of the wine aficionado part of it. Um, In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the largest growing population for purchasing wine in America is actually the young millennials. They are powering wine purchases in America. I, I read a study the other day that they are getting into wine and they like very good wine. So who knows that archetype for Ama Waterways that was a much older person could start getting much younger if it's based on wine travel. And so I think, you know, when you're, when you're looking at those gorgeous pictures, um, there may be a 65 year old who wants to see Machu Picchu and a 40 year old who wants to see Machu Picchu. But the archetype for the 65 year old is I want to stay at the luxury resort on top of the mountain that's adjacent to Machu Picchu. So I don't have to worry about going to see the, you know, I don't have to worry about getting up early in the morning, taking the bus up the mountain, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and I want it all done for me. But that 40 to 45 year old may be somebody who's had a friend in their thirties who told them about hiking up from the bottom, you know, and taking the train and all of that. And, and that person, that archetype may be more adventurous, mm-hmm. um, isn't as, concerned about inconveniences like getting up at four in the morning to be there before all the crowds show up. That may be the the zest in their desire. And so now the marketing that you do, where you all you do is put up Machu Picchu, may not get to one or both of those because it didn't say, well, what's that story going to be like? Because if the older person has heard that it's very difficult to get into that resort because there's only so many rooms and they've you know, they don't have a travel advisor who can get it to them, then maybe part of your story is I, through my connections, have an in. When would you like to go? Call me soon and I'll get you in and we'll start planning this. That story may be different. You've got to know who that archetype is before you start throwing all the glorious pictures up there because it may not work. 
You know, it, I, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I thought about when I was thinking about this interview and, and also when we were doing our class is, you know, you see these, uh, you know, big travel companies, OTAs, whatever they do, they do it very well. They have huge budgets, they've got staff and all of it. And then you get to the little, you know, home-based agent or small agency, mom and pop type thing. And it's one person trying to make magic happen with 30 competing demands a day. And so I mean, in a, in a sense, in one way, it seems difficult and overwhelming. But then in another sense, it seems like what you're actually offering is efficiency. Like I can streamline your workload for you so that you're not beating your head against a wall trying to guess what might work. We're right. going to really drill down. We're going to really figure out so that you are working smarter, not harder. And you're getting the return on your investment of time and money that will really significantly enhance your bottom line and make you feel successful and that th this this really works exactly imagine for example let's go back to the you know 40 something who wants an adventurous journey to the you know sacred valley um if your website your emails your social media reflect a lot more of that more you know you're gonna have to be younger because it's going to be a little bit strenuous but oh my goodness the payoff because you're that age because you're in that good shape because i know how to curate that for you the payoff is going to be better with me now you don't have if you're not a specialist in you know the resort at the top of the mountain with 60 year old you know clients now you don't have them cl clogging up your inbox. Now you don't have them asking for a consultation. And then you realize, okay, I'll do this because the commission's there, but I don't have a contact at that resort. And I'm going to have to call all my friends and see if they do. And how am I going to make this happen? Because they have a very narrow window. You're right. You may work smarter because the stories that you're telling at the top end of your funnel are bringing in people that you've kind of built your business around. You've already mm -hmm. decided that's who you want to serve. So let your marketing kind of display that. Yeah. So now, so for people who, even for people who will just say that you have a client comes to you and they say, you know, I've, I've, I've always liked to write, uh, but I, you know, it's, it's different to write for business. I mean, it, it obviously is. business writing is different. So what advice do you have to get people to the place where stories begin to flow? Do you use writing prompts? I mean, how does that work for you? Right. Well, you know, the first thing that we do is we try to remind people of the basic aspects of great stories. Because even though all of us are exposed to stories constantly, sometimes we don't know the mechanics that create the, that wonderful um, product that's that's pushed at us as marketing and advertising. Um, so we kind of remind people of those details because once you see the elements of great storytelling. And you understand them at an objective level that instead of us thinking, this is what a great Jane Austen novel looks like, we say, no, what a great novel looks like. And Jane Austen happens to use those same techniques I'm going to use are obviously the number one thing is characters that we're interested in, which is a great concept for a business writer because that character is your archetype, your ideal client. We want to see ourselves in your travel marketing so that I can say, oh my goodness, I can position myself, picture myself there. So we want to talk about like characters. Um, if you can find dialogue, for example, in a testimonial, um, if you're writing a short testimonial for your website and it's about a great trip that you booked, if the client can say, 
it was that moment when I stepped up at Zurich Airport and the gate agent said, don't worry about it. Your travel advisor rebooked you on that trip. If we put great dialogue, where now all of a sudden the person's not, the, the testimonial is not, my travel advisor is the greatest travel advisor, but it's, oh my goodness, I can see myself in a stressful situation at an airport that's not an American airport and I'm far away. And someone at the airline said, no, your travel advisor took care of it. Oh my goodness, how that speaks to me and makes me go, that's the value of a travel advisor. So dialogue is important. And then all of the other elements that we call the narrative arc that, you know, there's, there's an exposition open where we kind of understand where we're at with this, this um, character. And then what tends to happen in stories is there's conflict and tension, something rises that that's now leading us to continue. Cause if it's a boring story, why the heck am I going to listen? Right. That tension is rising and we know something's going to happen and we're not sure what, but we're going to stick with your marketing. We're going to stick with that testimonial because you wrote a story and I'm waiting for that next shoe to drop. And now I know that the narrative arc, we call it the covenant of the arc. Um, because we all know that that's what stories do. They rise and then they ha something happens and bam, we get let down to a place where we can digest all of it. So now I'm rising up to that climactic moment and then you hit me with it. Oh, the gate agent said, don't worry about it. Your travel advisor already took care of it. I see it in your record. <gasps> the climactic moment. My travel advisor's got me covered. What's the moment, the end of the story, the wrap up? When you have a travel advisor who's looking after you and is a real professional, you don't have to worry. They're on top of it already. That's their value proposition. That's their promise to you. So we try to teach them. Those are those are the you know that's the the narrative arc for any great story. If you think about Little Women, you know what happens. We're building up and building up through this you know this um, author's history to a moment where we know something climactic is going to happen. And then what happens at the very end is we were brought back to this woman's story about her and her sisters, and we knit it all together neatly. And we say, oh, strong women help each other get through life. And there's, there's value in the sisterhood, you know, or something like that. Right. That narrative arc is consistent across pretty much any movie, any play, you know, rarely see anything different. And we, we just take those elements and say, can you see where your business may have character and dialogue and rising tension and a story that speaks to your value proposition at the end? You know, and it's, I think it's true that when you're talking about this, you know, business writing, it, it's more like, in a way, it's kind of like journalism because you, you don't have as much time. You don't have 300 pages to develop the character and what, how they like their coffee. It's pretty much <laughs> their coffee is presented and you can see it's got cream or some kind, something light in it, but we're not discussing all that because there's no time. So it's, it's, it's a shortened, it's like the, the, the quick, the down and dirty. So painting a story that's very evocative in a short period of time with relatively few words. And, and that is the tricky part right. of certain elements of entrepreneur storytelling. If you're buying, you know, 30 seconds of local television time, how do I make something that isn't just me droning on about how great a travel advisor I am in 30 <laughs> seconds? <All right. laughs> if, 
<laughs> if I'm doing a social media post, if I'm, I mean, good gracious, Twitter, you know, expanded, what was it? 240 words now from 120 or characters. I, I mean, how do I tell a story on Twitter? Well, a lot of people do it every single day and there's certain conventions that you use. So someone knows this is the beginning of the story and there's going to be four more installments and follow me through here. And I'm using a hashtag so you can find the story if you, if you need to find it that way. So there are conventions you can use that, that allow you to either lengthen the number of pages that mm-hmm. business storytelling allows you to have, or, you know, I, I show examples in um, the storytelling class. Like um, I just absolutely adore her. Amy O'Shaughnessy, a Chow Bambino. She very quickly tells you why, why her, why Chow Bambino in her about me page. She's probably got about 15 lines of, you know, characters there, maybe 20 it's not that much, but she tells such a powerful story about why her, why she does what she does. If you connect with her, then, you know, short stories can be very powerful if you just use them efficiently. Wow. So, yeah, I, I, um, one of the things that I really got yesterday was, and I'll just share this, is when you know, you, you're you asking people questions about how do you feel or this and that. And I really found myself responding pretty powerfully to one question. And I just felt like this huge rush of <laughs> anger come up, you know? And, and then, I, I, then I realized that we kind of derailed the class a little and you had to <laughs> like corral us women back into line from the from the stitching bitch, you know, or the vent session. But but do you find that when you're working with clients that are there are places where it does kind of get maybe a little emotional and you're like, okay, that's a pain point for you, but we gotta move past that because we need to to get to the larger, deeper issue and 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 resolve it so that we can tell your story more effectively. Happens all the time. Okay. I actually have a friend of mine. Um, she's an entrepreneur and a psychologist, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain things that when she and I talk, because we're personal friends for over 40 years, um, when we chit chat alone, there are certain things that trigger her, even though she's a psychologist and she's had long enough time to think about herself and, and, and examine herself in the context of her life and her, her practice. You know, we all have that. And so, you know, what I try to do, I, you know, I have a very spiritual side to me and what I understand from that, I guess that's, you know, where I get my psychology degree is more what I've studied spiritually is that the most beneficial thing I can offer is a sense of trust and a safe place for someone to feel like they can say anything, because if they feel like there's no judgment from me, that may allow them to say, I'm struggling with this. And I feel like they've then opened the door for me to say, and I only ask questions. I never tell people, I think the reason why you're having this problem is because of this. What I'll do is I'll see what I think the problem is. And then I'll ask them to explore it through a really good question. I'll say, well, tell me the reason why that's so angry at that question. Do you, do you know why? And then they'll tell me, I think it's because right now I got this and this going on and I can't stand that. And I can't stand that. And I'll say, Oh, so the freedom of being able to do X, Y, and Z has been taken away from you. And it's bothering you right now. Yes, it is. It's bothering me right now. And so I kind of let them, you know, answer the question for themselves by giving them that safe space to just you know, be themselves and tell them, tell me exactly what it is they're thinking and feeling. 
Well, and that comes back to what we talked about earlier is that if I, for example, am having that emotion, then my client likely is too, because they're experiencing, they're experiencing the same sense of, you know, restriction and deprivation and lack of travel or lack of opportunity or whatever it's going to be sick of the husband and cooped up with the kids and all. I mean, I think at this point, it's pretty safe to say we're all in, in, in need of some, you know, some space, right? <laughs> empathy, <laughs> empathy expressed genuinely and humbly is one of the most powerful and disarming. And I say disarming from a positive standpoint, not manipulative. It's one of the most disarming things. And I'll tell you a quick story. I was working yeah. at Virgin Atlantic and um, Branson had a vacations division, a wholesale division that helped him sell some seats and book hotel rooms. And he was able to, you know, make some extra commission from working with all these different partners. It was uh, Virgin Vacations. And we put out a press release one day. And back then, th- there was no internet back in 1996. <laughs> I remember. So <laughs> we put press releases out over the business wire. And it would go out to all sorts of places. And I never knew who, who subscribed to Business Wire, but it was a service. And one day I get a phone call. I, I put out a press release about the latest packages we had for the LGBTQ community. And back then, all we called it was, you know, the gay and lesbian community. Right. You know, totally different, you know, frame. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in my office in Norwalk, Connecticut, um, and I'm at my desk and my associate comes in, LV, and she goes, Mr. D, um, I got an angry client on the phone. I said, really? I said, put them through. So the guy's on the other end and he goes, hi, my name is John from Colorado or Denver. I forget. It was definitely Colorado. He said, I've got a bone to pick with you. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm listening. He said, um, I just saw your press release about the gay community. And I got to tell you, I'm a Christian and I don't believe in homosexuality. And I think it's disgusting. And he starts ranting at me about the fact that I put out the press release because my name and phone number are on that. That's why he called me. Um, um, Because back then, that's what you did with press releases. You actually put your name and phone number on it. Um, And I'm listening to him. And I gave him lots of time to to get it out. And I said, first, the first thing I said to him was, thank you so much for calling me. Thank you for calling and expressing your opinion. And the first thing I said after that was, I got to tell you, what I really love about being an American is that you and I can have our separate and different opinions. And yet a capitalist like Richard Branson can build a product, put it out there for a community and sell it. And if you don't like that, because he was telling me, I boycott. I've never flown Virgin, but I can tell you, I'm never going to fly them now, thanks to your supporting homosexuality. Um, and I said, "Isn't it great though that you can call me, say all these things, and you can vote with your your pocket? You can choose to never fly us because that's the way you feel. That's what's great about capitalism. That's what's great about the freedom of, that America offers all of us." And there was silence on the other end. And he said to me, "I swear to God, this is a true story." about you know 10 seconds of silence and then he said to me you know i called thinking i was going to boycott this airline forever but the way you just discussed this with me i may give you guys a second chance if i'm ever flying to london wow empathy yeah i'm not disrespecting you i'm not going to scream and yell at you you're coming at me from a perspective and i i knew nothing about evangelical christianity i didn't think that maybe colorado was different when it came to spirituality than to a new yorker who had grown up in catholicism although you know my faith is you know 
done things to the LGBTQ community that I was aware of. So here's this guy coming at me with this archetype that I kind of wasn't aware of, but I felt it very prominently. And I disarmed him with empathy. Hey, I hear you. I respect that you called me and you, you want to have a discussion. And I found common ground. I was very purposeful saying to him, isn't it great? We have a capitalist society that allows us to do what we want to do. Isn't it great? We've got a country that's free. And I did that maybe out of a little bit of boorishness, but I said to myself, he comes from Colorado. Sounds like he's a conservative. I'm guessing he likes capitalism and he likes freedom. And once I gave him that common ground to stand next to me, then I broke down the wall. That's thinking about your story, thinking about your archetypes and asking yourself, is there something there that I can help this person enter my story? And he did. You know, I think that's an excellent example because it's true. As long as people are willing to engage you have room to, you know, to communicate. It's yeah. when people don't, you know, they, they, they go off and they write something horrible on TripAdvisor, which is what they would do these days, and never, never engage with you. But that opportunity to engage with you and your story that he didn't like, but, you know, then you came back around. And I think that that's, that's a, actually, that's a really fabulous example of what you're talking about. Because I gave him a new story. Mm -hmm. uh, the new story was he and I both believed in capitalism. We thought it was a great way for companies to try to put a product out and make a profit. And, and that was at least something we agreed on. And, right. you know, but I, uh, not everybody, I, I see the world as a bell curve. Um, and, you know, I've worked with, you know, employee communications. I've communicated to people in the thousands. I've communicated to small teams. And I find that you have sort of an 80-20 rule on the bell curve. 10% of the people are on the far end and are going to be your biggest fans. 10% of the people are on the back end of that bell curve and they're going to hate you forever. He could have been one of those people that day. I just happened to find somebody in the middle of the bell curve who could be approached with a common story. And so, you know, this is not a perfect science. And depending on who's on the other end of the story you're telling, that's why, you know, you could set up a website and sell adventure travel to South America and 10 to 15% of the people who come to your page are going to leave immediately because they ain't ever buying into that story. But what about the people who absolutely want to go to Machu Picchu in South America? They show up and bam, they're connected quickly. But to survive a business... How many of those people in the middle have a different story? Maybe it's a story about, I want to see wondrous things. Maybe I wasn't thinking of South America. Maybe I wasn't thinking of Machu Picchu, but I'm a person who responds to dramatic landscapes. I'm a person who responds to someone who puts the history of the earth into context. I love understanding how I fit in the grand story of humankind because you know landscapes were shaped for a certain reason and cultures built castles in the sky for certain reasons. And those are archetypes that cut across everything. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you can see what they did in Machu Picchu in Cairo with the, 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 the um, pyramids of Giza. You can see it in the castles that dot the Aust Austrian countryside. We've always been doing the same thing across history. And maybe my archetype is place me in a place of wonder and help me understand why did somebody build that castle on that mountaintop? Because I'll go to that castle, I'll go to the ruins in Machu Picchu, I'll go to the Great Wall of China if you approach my story, which is someone who's 
open to the wonder of how humankind builds these edifices because at that time in, in the history of that nation, that, that region, that's what they did. Did you connect with me on that story? Because that's my story and that's what I'm listening to right now. And your Facebook post made me think about that. It really is. I mean, it's a, you know, it's an art and it's a science. It's a little bit of both, obviously. That it the, is the yes. magic. The magic is in, you know, here's art and here's science, and the magic happens in the middle where they intersect and overlap in a way. You know? It's definitely, it's definitely alchemy. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, you know, alchemy to me is not necessarily all science. There's a little bit of art in in, in putting together this and this and this and seeing if it works. That's exactly right. Well, Rich, so 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 tell me um, where you are, what's next for you, and yep. what's on tap. Well, so this travel business mastermind thing is heading into its second year, and mm-hmm. we help travel advisors with a whole host of, you know, ups, upping their game in their in their travel companies. So we have these master classes where which are moderately priced. Um, and what we're trying to do during this downtime is help a travel advisor look at what's going on in their business and think to themselves, do I need to up, game, up my webinar game? Because right now, a lot of people are doing virtual webinars to get clients in the sales funnel. We have a masterclass for that. Um, Myrna did a masterclass on how do you do follow-ups? You know, you have that webinar. Well, how are you getting people into a email funnel efficiently to now start to qualify that person if they if they attended do they really want to buy from you and when do they want to buy we've got another one on social media how to look at social media as a marketing tool that creates sales leads so we we've kind of created these lesser expensive products but we also our master program is this thing called travel business accelerator where we put all of that in there and it's a little bit shorter truncated because it's 12 modules and then if you want to double down on something, you can buy a masterclass. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next you know, six months is upping our game with the masterclasses because we realize that travel advisors are struggling right now with cash flow. So you know, having our big expensive program versus these, these other programs, we're going to keep filling in the places that could make a big difference and hopefully start putting sales leads in the funnel by you know, June, July at the, okay. at the least. Okay. Um, but I'm just on a mission when it comes to storytelling. Um, I love doing videos on our YouTube page to try to bring these concepts to life. You know, this was so wonderful. Thank you for letting uh, me do this because when I when I say my craft, it starts to jog memory. Oh, I got to do that video about that very subject that Linda just brought up, um, and that's all for free on our YouTube channel. Um, and you know, what's certainly- the name of your YouTube channel? You know, we're not big enough yet to actually have our brand on it. So okay. if you just if you go to YouTube and you put inside quotes the phrase travel business mastermind, we're probably going to appear at the very, very top. Okay. It'll say, you know, but you got to do it um in Google um or in YouTube um with those quotes around it. Otherwise you'll get travel business, you'll get business mastermind. So okay. that's the easiest way to get there. You can reach us at www.travelbusinessmastermind.com. Um on Facebook, um, we have um, the Travel Business Mastermind backslash. And we also have right now for storytellers, if you want to get you know a, a free dialogue that's been going on for about a year now, you can join our private Facebook group. 
you can find it. Um, it's, um, I think it's telling your compelling story. I forget what we named it, but, um, uh, well, you, you know what it, it'll, well, actually we will put that in the show notes. Oh, great. Thank so you. It'll be, it'll be there in the link underneath this episode once. And I'm always up. in there throwing ideas out at people mm-hmm. and asking them questions and telling, you know, tell me a problem that you're having and, and we'll debate it here. Um, and I'm actually thinking of doing something during the middle of the week where we do a Ask Richard Anything About Storytelling live <laughs> on Facebook. So oh, fun. Um, I love it. I'm probably going to do that at the, at the private Facebook group as well. My big dilemma has been time lately. Really? Um, no. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I wonder when you sleep. Uh well, I tell you, the older I get, the earlier I go to bed. <laughs> well, that's. I think that I think that's true of all of us. I love your story. I love the story of a woman who has worked in entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, the time that you spent um, working for that florist and working in the flowers. I'm really curious to, to to learn more about your story because, and then I follow your story all the time. Um, you seem to be the um, you seem to be the Pied Piper of the Willamette Valley <laughs> Wine Fun Group. You're always in places where people are smiling and and enjoying great grapes. Um, and and being good friends, so I want to hear more about Linda's story. My my archetype is party goddess. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is that archetype called? <laughs> uh, party goddess. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll take it. Party goddess, perfect. Well, Rich, I really want to thank you today for being with me, and it has been as fabulous as I knew it would be. I completely adore you. So, uh, can't wait to catch up with you again, and. Pretty soon, everybody else is going to get to hear this as well and and fall in love with you too. So thank, thank you. you. Well, the feeling's mutual. Ever since we met, I've uh, I've just enjoyed your company and your insight and your enthusiasm for this industry. Thank you. Thank you.